The Crowncast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of The Crowncast, and it is the final. That's right. It is the final Wednesday World Cup podcast. Uh, And that's because we had the final. We did it. We did the World Cup. And what a final it was. I mean, possibly the game of the ages. If this was, you know, the game that you came in and this was your first time watching football, maybe you can just stop because you've done it. You've seen as good (laughs) as a game gets. And here to talk to me about it is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. How are you doing today? Uh, I am doing really, really well. Uh, I'm not kidding when I say I think this is probably the best football match I have ever had, had the chance to see in any league for any tournament anywhere. Uh, you know, it's so easy, especially when we have that sort of like immediacy of, of the event to go, Hey, we just watched history, right? It's easy to go. That thing I just saw was special. And I genuinely believe this one was special. I mean, I think they said that was something like the third time ever that, by the way, if you have not seen the final of the world cup, please pause this podcast Go watch a recording of the final of the World Cup and then come back because we are going to talk about it. We are going to post-react to it, and we are therefore going to give you spoilers. Uh, so the spoilers are coming now. Uh, I think it's like the third final in history that went to to shootouts to decide the victor. Do you know off the top of your head if that's correct? Uh, I think it is, and I think that unfortunately for France, they've been on the losing end of two of those three shootouts. <laughs> Gotta love the French, right? I mean, honestly, yeah. they, they won it last time. It's not like they've had a terrible record of of existing in the uh, World Cup. I think if you went to almost any country in the world and said, hey, in recent history, you're going to have uh, two second place finishes that you barely lose in uh, shootouts and you're going to win a World Cup, most countries would be like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's, I think, more difficult for France to be disappointed because they won it four years ago. Sure, you the cachet of a repeat would have been great and everything, but I, I don't think it's the better storyline here, and I think the better storyline did end up winning. I mean, you know, for those of you who may not know, that storyline is Lionel Messi, best player in the world, has filled in the last gap in his trophy cabinet. And yeah. there's a World Cup winner's medallion uh, around his neck. Uh, man of the match for the final. Um, he, you know, stacked this Argentina team on his 35-year-old back. And uh, they all bounced back from losing to Saudi Arabia in the first match of the, the World Cup, which that Saudi team, you know, you always get to carry around. Hey, we were the team that beat Argentina at the World Cup the year they won it all. Yeah. I mean, it is such a journey for the Argentine team to go from, you know, the first game where a, a lot of people basically said, no, or no way, Argentina, they're not connected enough. It's not going to work. Maybe they make it out of the group stages, but we can't see this to to this. And weirdly, actually, I think we need to sort of organize our thoughts here because it is only fair to say this is going to be the first half of the podcast. You're going to get the podcast today in two segments. You're going to get the World Cup Wednesday segment, and then we're going to go back. I'm going to give the reins to Justin and Josh to do a little bit of stuff on Charlotte FC. But for this one, let's sort of focus in and let's talk uh, a little bit actual post-react. Obviously, Argentina wins uh, in crazy penalties, uh, probably crowns and 
more crowns and more crowns need to go everywhere. But I think we're both going to try and do a crown and a card. Does that sound right to you? Yep. Let's do it. Let's do uh, you. Let's do cards first, and we'll end on high notes. All right. You want to do the first one? Yeah, I I will take uh, the first card, and uh, my first card. My first card is going to be Hugo Lloris, and I say that because I don't think he's very good. Um, I think that, you know, if you look down the French bench, the French bench, the French bench, if you look down the French bench uh, at the goalkeeping situation, I do think Hugo Lloris is the number one. I do think he's the standout option in goal for the French. He does play for a small club in a very large league, and I don't particularly think well of him from a skill and talent perspective in, in the Premier League nor do I think that well of him from a skill and talent perspective in the World Cup. I think he's probably the weakest. uh, I mean, he's one of the weakest links in the French team. And the reason I say that is, you know, Justin, you hear me talk about goalkeepers all the time. So much of it has to do with my growing up playing as a goalkeeper. Defenders and midfielders look back to their goalkeeper for inspiration. They look back to the base of their team and and they when they look back, they either go, yes, that guy is what's behind us. We're good. Or they look back and they go, oh, everything is on me to stop him from having to do anything. Right. And I think there was a Hugo Lloris can be a very good shot stopper, but he is known to have fumbles in him. And I think part of the early game chaos was defenders looking around going, we can't let this get past us. We don't have the backup that we wish we had. And I think it showed, I think the French stabilized in the second half, but I think a lot of the early game was maybe some, some good play by the Argentinian coach. But I also think that there was an, a difficulty riding the ship because of the base of their defense in Hugo Lloris. Uh, thoughts on, on Larise's performance? I mean, he does make seven saves in the match, uh, faces 10 shots on goal, 20 total shots, uh, 10 on goal from Argentina, and, and saves seven of them. Uh, one, you know, one of those that, that's in there is the penalty that uh, Messi puts past him. Um, I, I agree with you that I don't know that he's the strongest part of the French lineup. I don't think that he's a terrible keeper. I think he had a, a good, a relatively good day. You, given the attacking power that he was going up against. You know, if you listen to our last World Cup Wednesday, we, we talked about the fact that, like, neither of these teams defend particularly well. And 3-3 going into penalties, that is a shootout, you know. And, and you know, we had a 3-3 match. We had two goals scored in extra time. Um, it's a bit of a shootout. That's a lot of goals in a final, which is exciting for the neutrals. But but it does mean that, you know, there's a little bit of weakness across the back for both of these teams. Um, there's a little bit of weakness in goal for both of these teams. Lloris doesn't cover himself with glory. I don't necessarily know that he was the worst part of that French side or anything like that. Um, I think that the worst parts of that French side, and Josh would crucify me if I didn't mention this. Uh, I think the worst parts of those French side actually got pulled off 40 minutes into this match where Didier Deschamps makes a very smart decision and sees players that aren't uh, uh, turned on, aren't playing well, 
And maybe it's because there was an illness that ran through the French squad or something like that, but pulls off Olivier Giroud and Osman Dembele uh, and uh, replaces them with uh, Marcus Taram and Randall Kolomouani, who was, was very good the rest of the match. Um, uh, so I don't think Laurie was bad. Uh, fair enough. We don't always have to agree on these. Um, I think he was terrible. No, uh, <laughs> like I said, I, I don't think he was absolutely awful on the day. I think there was a difference. I think there was a a clear. The French line didn't look to trust their keeper, and obviously, ultimately, it comes down to penalties, where he gets made to look a little silly. But yeah, uh, you know, penalties are penalties. The keeper just has to do their best job and hope that it's good enough. And for one side, it was good enough. And for one side, it wasn't. Uh, who would you like to card, Justin? Oh, this is going to be a spicy one. You ready for it? I am. I'm always ready for the spice, Justin. My card is for the other goalkeeper, Emiliano Martinez. Emmy Martinez. First of all, you want to talk about a keeper who was poor. Uh in open play, in, in the match, Martinez faces only five shots on target, and there are three goals. Yes, two of them are penalties, but he was poor the entire World Cup in open play. The only thing that Emmy Martinez is good at, and, and maybe he's God-tier at it, but it's the penalty piece. See, um, I, you know I'm going to disagree with you on this, but we'll get to that in a minute. Go. But, I mean, legitimately, if you look at some of his statistics, and I've got to try and track it down, his save percentage is terrible in open play. His distribution is terrible in open play. Um, he is not a good keeper in open play. Um, and then, you know, you watch him in the, the penalty shootout, and he does incredibly well. He does stop one. Uh, Shomeni misses just barely. But he does things in the penalty shootout that it's just the worst form of sportsmanship before the show him any penalty he picks the ball up from the spot which in my opinion he should have been booked for because it's been placed down for show him any and then martinez comes up picks it up dribbles it around and then throws it away uh you know show him any misses uh, martinez guesses right but he doesn't get a hand on it or anything and then he acts like he's you know, the hero that's saving the day. Uh, he wins the the Golden Glove. And after being awarded it on the stage in front of everybody, he puts it in front of his crotch. Um, he's just, he's not a, a particularly sportsman-like uh, uh, footballer. Um, and his play in, again, in open play, doesn't back up the arrogance that he shows. See, I'm gonna, um, that's not true. I'm not going to fully disagree with you because I do think he has a, a show of arrogance in general that is probably more than it should be. Um, I do think that his distribution is worth mentioning because it's one of the things that put him on the radar as a as a good keeper. Now, maybe in, you know, some games here in the World Cup, it hasn't been as effective as, you know, I haven't seen these numbers you're talking about. But, you know, part of what put Emmy Martinez on the map in the first place was his ability to play as the 11th outfield player um, and his ability to break lines when he collects the ball. Uh, his failure to save the Kylian Mbappe penalties, I think, is a. I think is a tough thing to put on him uh, because. I don't know of any goalkeeper in the world that you could put in front of Kylian Mbappe and go, yes, you should be favored to save these. And 
if you look at his positioning, if you look at how he did for the actual goal that went in an open play, uh, Kylian Mbappe hits an absolutely incredible shot. And I believe uh, Emmy Martinez is like 6'5 or 6'4. And it goes right through the danger window for a keeper, which is just above his leg and low enough that a tall keeper has problems getting down. He also makes a World Cup winning save at the end of of everything. I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that his his reflex save, his foot save at the very, very end is critical. You know, he, he's one-on-one and he makes that save. I think this is a harsh card. I mean, I think that maybe you can say there are things about his, his game that could use work to be best in the world level. And I certainly think that you can say there are things about his personality that are not great. Uh, I think those are both fair criticisms, but I do find it hard to to card him for this particular performance. I mean, I'll ask you very square, Justin. Do you feel like any keeper in the world should have saved that open play strike from Kylian Mbappe? No, I mean, it's an absolutely brilliant strike from an absolutely brilliant run of play. But But Martinez... Uh, and, and a lot of this, I will admit is because he is, um, well at the risk of, of, you know, swearing on it, he's an ass. Um, but I, I found his stats across the world cup. He played seven matches, made seven saves leading up to the, the final. His save percentage is only 46%. His accurate long balls over the course of, of the world cup is only 17%. Um, he, he's just, he, he hasn't had a very good world cup from open play. What he does have is three penalty shootout saves, uh, you know, and, and I think then it's four, uh, you know, with the save in the shootout in the final, he does well at penalty shootouts, but, but he didn't face a ton of shots and the shots he faced, he didn't do a great job of keeping out, uh, on a, as a general rule across the world cup and, and, you know, I, I think you can spin that the other way as well because I I, I haven't seen all of these um, in the in the case of the Kylian Mbappe shot. If he doesn't face a bunch of shots, the shots he may face may have been very strongly against him. But that's not information I have in front of me. So uh, you know, I do think it's right to call him out for probably some of his behavior, especially after getting the Golden Glove. Uh, there's some well, there's some assery in that that uh, well is is not uh, not that great is not probably the image you want to give out after having uh, won the World Cup with Argentina. But I do think that is two cards. Do we want to go into crowns to people we can be a little bit more happy for? Yeah. Uh, So I'm going to go first in crowns uh, just because I particularly want to call this guy out. I am going to crown Kylian Mbappe. That is going to sound uh, a bit harsh. I hurt for Kylian Mbappe. I think there are a lot of players on that French team that are very, very good. I I cannot imagine in my own brain having reached the final of a World Cup and having put the ball into the back of the net not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. And technically, the penalty shootout after time has expired does not count towards like a hat trick or anything. But he not only gets a hat trick, he then makes his penalty in the shootouts he puts the ball in the back of the net four times to lose a World Cup. 
And that has to, I mean, that, I, like, no matter how much we, you know, we want to cheer on Messi, no matter how much we want to talk about how great the story is, I think it has to be noted one player went out there and, you know, maybe you can find little pieces where, like, maybe if he was more defensively in tune, they would not have had as much struggle. Uh, but the simple fact of the matter is if you look at any striker, if you look at any one of the front three positions or front four, depending on how you're playing, or front two, depending on how you're playing, and you say that guy's going to put the ball in the back of the net four times in one game, you would take that any day. And you would assume that you're going to win every single game forever, indefinitely into eternity, right? You can put a high school soccer team with one player who gets four goals in one game versus MLS professional level competition, and you might win. And that is the power of three goals in real time and one one PK effective, effectively taken first PK. It is insane the the level of ability that man has and you know he gets plenty of talking about i don't i don't want people to think you know oh well he's only doing this because he doesn't think he gets talked about enough and he needs to be the real story no i just want to put out there that killian mbappe showed up and he did for france everything he could i think and and i hurt for an incredible performance that ultimately ends up with the silver medal. Uh, thoughts on the Mr. Mbappe, Mbappe man and whether or not he's good at the football, Justin? I mean, I, I think that his performance is what makes this um, a match for the ages. Uh, he he is brilliant, and and the you know we've referenced it a little bit, but the the second goal, the one he scores from open play, it's a great piece of team play, but the finish is one of the most sublime. You know, it's a volley that is incredibly difficult, and it's perfectly hit. Um, and you know, I don't think that you can you can do it any better. The one thing I will say for Mbappe is I do, you know, yes, it's terrible for him that he uh, he doesn't win this one. He won one four years ago, and there is no way that this team goes into twenty twenty six and is not the favorite. When you look at the the young talent, not just Mbappe, who is, you know, let's remember only, what, 23? Yeah, when, think... when you look around him at the players who are incredibly young, it, when you look at the, the Kingsley Commons, the uh, Marcus Taram, Aurelien Chouamey, uh, Eduardo Camavinga, who I think was monstrous when he came in, you know, um, Upamecano, uh, Konate, and Saliba will probably be in the starting mix in 2026. The only players that you look at this French side and you go, they're probably not starting four years from now are Giroud, Griezmann, Laurie, and uh, Loris, and and Varane. And I, I hate to be the one to tell you this, Justin, but I have counted Olivier Giroud out of so many tournaments and so many be, games. He'll no, be at, forty at, by the next at, one. <laughs> at this point, until he's not on the team sheet, like when they actually bring out the team sheet for the next World Cup in 2026, and it does not have Olivier Giroud on it. That is when I will believe, and, and it's yeah, not because I'm like it's not because I love Olivier Giroud to death. It's because I have counted Olivier Giroud out enough times that I can't do it anymore. Like I just I physically can't. I, he might be doing it just to spite me, um, but all the rest of them. I do think it's it's an odd statement to acknowledge that the French team is probably going to get better in the next cycle yeah. than they are now. 
they're all young they're all on the upswing and and that's probably the scariest part circling it back to mbappe is he is this good he is he is capable of doing this much magic at 23 years old is and he 23, we, is he 24 he, he is 23 and and i mean messi's messi's 35 if we have another 12 years of mbappe if he can if he can make it to the age that messi is at right now I, you know we're crowning messi the greatest of all time right now mbappe might be challenging him by then if he stays on this trajectory if he stays with this talent i mean there's going to be a real question does already have a world cup under his belt yeah. i mean he he was a part of the team that won the last one uh I, so i mean i think he now has the most goals in world cup final like in the final match of a world cup in history yeah i mean getting three and slash four in two in world this one is pretty good <laughs> um okay let's move on to uh your crown and then maybe we'll do one more crown because i think there are other people who need to get talked about i mean it's the obvious one yeah, it's it's obvious it's one. messy you know it, the the guy's 35 he has said he's going to continue with the Argentine national team. I I absolutely believe that. I don't think he'll be back in a World Cup. Uh, you know, he said that this is, was his last World Cup match. I believe that. This is, you know, I cracked a joke about it in our in our private chat and everything. And so I'm going to make you drink for this. Uh, it, it's a storybook ending, um, <laughs> because it is a story. Like this is if you were to write the script for a sports movie, this is the ending is chasing it all of these years, retiring once from the national team and coming back, you know, everything that he has been through, all of the personal and, and professional accolades that he has won, this is the one that was missing. And now he gets it. And yeah, no. he it's still okay. being so important to this side. He gets it still being so effective, so contributive. This isn't, you know, a 40-year-old warming the bench for all of these matches, maybe getting three minutes at the end. He played all the way through this tournament. He, he put this team on his back, like I said, and you know, it's, it's a, a crown for his performance in this match. Cause he does score the penalty. He does score the goal that puts them ahead in extra time, even though they get pegged back. Um, he's still active. He's still doing everything you want from a player. And, and he's still the best. Yeah, I don't I don't think what we see now is is truly prime messy. I mean, he's 35, time catches everyone. He doesn't have quite the same burst that he used to. He doesn't have quite the same ability to run people down that he used to. He doesn't have quite the same ability to break away um and go one-on-one -on -one like he used to. And it just doesn't seem to matter. It's like it's like he loses 4% in one skill and gains 4% in another. Uh, like he's trading them off like trading cards. I mean, genuinely, it is incredible what this man has managed to. It, it feels so, so reductive now to just say the greatest of all time because the the questions have gone on, right? How long now have we been adding Lionel Messi's name to the greatest of all time conversation? How many years has it been? How many other people have come into the conversation of greatest of all time and then faded away with the wins in the time that Lionel Messi has just been continually sitting there at the top of everything except the World Cup until now and and now at 35 years old 
still the heart of the Argentina team. I'm not going to say dragging, kicking, and screaming because I do. I don't think this is possible if the rest of Argentina had not stepped up and they did step up. Um, but, but it, it's it, this is history. I mean, it, it's incredible to sit here and say it into a microphone because it's something you kind of have to accept for yourself before you you put it out for everyone else, right? You know, whether we like it or not, we are a voice in football, and we saw history there it's 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 absolutely special and i feel like nothing i say could even come close to encompassing what this man has done it's well it's Lionel messi everybody and honestly if he hangs up his boots right now and retires and never touches a football professionally again i would not be sad in the in the slightest uh you know if, I- if he just wanted to be done I'd be slightly sad because of the number of rumors that have linked him to the MLS and the opportunity to potentially see him live and in person here in America would be truly awesome. That would be not, very, not very an opportunity, and, but that is so uh, uh, selfish and personal of me because <laughs> I want that for me. <laughs> yeah, we want that for us. Uh, but for Messi, you know, if, if he hangs up his boots right now and, and caps off an absolutely indescribable career, well done to him if he goes on and plays until he's 70 because he just loves this game good on him uh you know this moment this day weirdly with all of his accolades this is what is going to be remembered and it just is what it is uh have we have we waxed lyrical enough about Lionel messi oh yeah okay so we're gonna do one more crown uh we'll make these a little bit quicker um i am I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to pull a Justin here and I'm going to half crown somebody who I think deserves it. That's on <laughs> Angel Di Maria. Uh, I don't particularly like him as a human being, but I don't think Argentina win this game without him. So congratulations. There's your half crown. Um, I'm instead going to crown someone I do think deserves it. And uh, that is McAllister. Um, Alexis McAllister for Argentina is 23 years old. He is scrappy as all get out. And he is one of those people who fought tooth and nail for everything in this match. And every time Argentina seemed to stumble, Alexis McAllister was somewhere around there picking up pieces. And that's one of those performances that in a World Cup final, that was the guy who said, no, we don't give up. And so I have to shout him out and I have to give him his crown. Well done to him. Justin, any thoughts on uh, Mr. McAllister? Clearly the most Argentinian name of all time. (laughs) No, I mean, he's been another one that I think has been a little bit of a revelation over the course of this tournament. Uh, he has been uh, an enormous contributor for for Argentina all the way through. Um, Maybe for his sake, he gets opportunities uh, at at other clubs, uh, you're the, saying the Brighton, Brighton isn't the absolute say all end all of football mm, glory? Per, perhaps not, but <laughs> Brighton not a bad club. But I think well, you know, you, I don't think Brighton's he's deployed do, the right? same way. I don't think he's deployed the same way for Argentina as he is for Brighton. And I, and I hope that maybe maybe somebody from Brighton saw how he was deployed for this Argentinian side and decided to to try and emulate that. Yeah, but you know what Brighton's going to do now, right? Sell him Bright- on. <laughs> yeah, Bright- Brighton's going to slap like a $150 million price tag on him. 
and be like, go ahead, buy him. I don't care. Um, and because uh, that's kind of what Brighton does. Brighton sells players remarkably well uh, for a team that doesn't seem to really get a lot done in the leagues. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on. Go ahead and give us your second crown, Justin. Uh, I am actually going to give uh, two half crowns. Um and that's to the managers of Argentina and France, Lionel Scaloni for Argentina and Didi Deschamps. Okay, go ahead. Well, so here's the thing. I think Scaloni does what Argentina needs. I think that he keeps some of these attitudes, some of these personalities, all kind of humming and clicking. I think he's very much a man-manager guy. Uh, not necessarily a big tactics guy, but a big man-manager guy. And I think that he gets a, a half crown here because he keeps this squad moving together when there are some difficult personalities around here. Um, I think Didier Deschamps gets a, a huge shout out here because, you know, Josh uh, wanted me to make sure that it was referenced that the substitutions that he makes in the 40th minute. This is not a time you normally see substitutions, especially in a final. It seems like the, the optics of it are you're conceding that you made a mistake with your initial 11 uh, and you need to make these changes. But uh, I see it more as Didier Deschamps successfully identifying areas that he was having difficulty. We talked in our again in our, our private chat about how France weren't attacking successfully in the entire first half of this match and something needed to change. He made the right changes. I think Didier Deschamps is one of them are technically gifted and he's shown it by, you know, winning a world cup with this French squad a few years ago, everything like that. Um, but I think he's one of the more technically gifted managers that we've seen uh, in a while. And, and he gets to ply his trade with a very talented group of players uh, in this French national team. But I think he did a very good job, especially in this final. Yeah. See, I have no, I have no questions about DDA Deschamps. I think his decision to pull off, uh, you know, I believe it is. Uh, it's Giroud and it's Dembele. Giroud and Dembele. Yeah. I think Giroud was a. I think Giroud was always kind of a passenger to the system, and when the system wasn't working in this one, Olivier Giroud was pointless. Um, so I have trouble putting that on Giroud. Uh, I think Dembele was supposed to be critical to the system moving forward, and just was not it. I mean, I think I almost carded Dembele because he had an awful performance, and I think that. A combination of of very bad beginnings made Olivier Giroud's only superpower, which is be a big threat in the box, pointless. So I think those two people coming off was incredibly intelligent. I'm glad he didn't wait for it. Uh, I'm glad for the choices of people he brought on. You know, like I said earlier, uh, Kolomwani is 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 good. I mean, there's there's no joke about it. He's good, right? And I like the tactical ability to to flex and change the system and get France back into the game. I thought it was a fantastic thing. Uh, Scaloni, I do not have the same high regard for after this match. I think Scaloni set up very, very well in the beginning. I think he threw a nice curveball uh, having Di Maria out on the left. I think that there were some choices that if they had gone wrong for him would have been, I mean, he would have been raked over the coals in Argentina. Uh, I think he played the strategy very well in the beginning. And as the game progressed, every time he pulled a player out and put someone else on, I went, why on earth are you doing that? Uh, you know, I, I was fortunate enough. I got to watch this game with my family, with my sister. And I just looked at her and I said, I have never once seen it work where you're up two goals with 40 minutes left and you pull off two of your attacking threats 
and put on two defenders. It, he was, you know, whether it was he had that fear from previous uh, games of, you know, I think Argentina after like the 75th minute have conceded something like five goals in this tournament and only scored one. I don't know whether he just had that in his mind and was terrified and just chose to shell up, but it threw the team out of out of whack and it, it did that at a time that France was already getting the the momentum and the power behind the ball. So that hurts even more. Um, I I genuinely think that if I think Argentina could have stayed on the gas and continued trying to control the ball further up and not let France get back into this, and we would have possibly seen them get another goal, or at the very least, they would have been continually threatening and controlled the game much more safely. Now, you could argue that uh, Scaloni is actually a brilliant genius because he wanted the storybook ending for Lionel Messi, so he did this to <laughs> let France score two so that they could get the back and forth and we could have the boxing match and the drama. But I think a better managed side just continues to step on France's neck and wins this without drama. Um, and I think that lays at the foot of Scaloni. I, I genuinely do. By the end of the match... Lataro Martinez, who I will, uh, you know, ask you if I'm correct, Justin, is a central defender. Is that correct? Uh, no, that's Lissandro Martinez. Oh, that's Lissandro Martinez. Um, Lataro Martinez is the one who is set. Lataro in, Martinez is the, t the attack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is set in the only attacking option left at this point, with the exception of. Sorry about that. Uh, with the exception of obviously Lionel Messi, who's still on the pitch. That's it. Like, that's all they had up at that point in time. And I, I I will never be okay with the, there's 40 minutes left. We're only up two goals. Let's park the bus and take all of our threat off. I will never be okay with it. Uh, I I mean, I think that there, there was already a little bit of fatigue setting in, and I think that's, like, uh, uh, Di Maria just got back to fit so i don't know just if the, got back from injury so that does make i sense. don't know if the if the the sub there was a well, now he does bring on a defender in place of Di maria but like i think Di maria needed to come off when he did um it, it i think that this is more so for scaloni's performance over the course of the tournament keeping these uh, uh you know attitudes and personalities uh, uh sort of rowing together I don't think that he made a, a terrible hash of the final. Um, I think that this was an Argentina team that came out hot, that came out fast. Um, I think they that, needed that to. Used up France, Di Maria, yeah. you know, he used up Di Maria of, of all of the sort of energy and fitness that Di Maria had, I think. Um, could he have made some more aggressive changes to try and keep the pressure on? Yes. Uh, did he go a little bit, you know, defensive and potentially let France back in? Yes. Um but they still win. He's still going to get a World Cup winner's medal. Okay, I realize this is going to be the stupidest version of this because there is only one storyline. Uh, but I am going to go ahead and ask for your final thoughts. You know, if you're writing the newspaper for this one, what's your, what's your final thoughts, your headline for the World Cup final? Uh, Lionel Messi, winner of the world. That is a good one. That is a very good one. Uh, I'm going to say essentially the identical thing. Uh, and I'm going to say this is the storybook ending. 
for Lionel Messi. Uh, it's it's everything. It's everything. Uh, it, it, welcome, welcome to the world of football. And it, these are the games that will will echo forever. You know, the people who are just getting into football will remember this from uh, until until they stop loving the game, or and maybe further on. And for those of us who have who have been a part of this game for for decades, it it still continues to hold that incredible special spark. So uh, I am going to go ahead and wrap it up there. Otherwise, we will continue to to sort of <laughs> blabber on about this forever. And there's a part two coming at you where Justin is going to take over the reins, and Josh is going to fill in for me to talk about the Charlotte FC. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are going to continue our World Cup Wednesday. We are in the middle of the podcast transfer window, and as such, we have uh, released Logan to his travels uh, here around the holiday season, and we brought Josh back in. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going, man? Good. We are uh, sadly done with the World Cup and ready to pivot back to Charlotte FC content, which obviously is a content that that our listeners, you know, care more about. So um, we've talked a little bit already about some of the transfer stuff. Enzo Copetti, he's still coming, maybe? Who, who knows at this point? Like, there was a lot of reports maybe, what, two weeks ago or so? And then it's just sort of been silence. Yeah, we've been back to radio silence. We have had an official transfer, uh, a Polish, another Polish player, since that seems to be who we like collecting, uh, David Poremba, who is 20 years old and a central midfielder. Uh, he has signed a contract with Charlotte FC Next, so our MLS Next squad. Yeah, it's... Um... It's a it's a move that, to be honest with you, I don't know anything about the player at all. He's coming from a team over in the uh, Polish Top Flight League, although I believe he had some time at Chicago as well. Um, but he's a young guy. What, I think he's 20 years old or something like that? Yeah, he's 20. He's a dual citizen. So he holds two passports, an American and a Polish, which means that, you know, for the purposes of roster stuff, he's not going to take up an international spot, which is always good for for Charlotte. Um, you are right. He did spend some time in the, the Chicago Fire Academy. Um, only 20, plays in the center of the midfield, maybe a little bit more of a defensive midfielder, uh, uh, you know, in that sort of Brant Bronico, Derek Jones sort of role. This is an MLS next guy, though. This is, for those that aren't familiar, uh, every team has the opportunity now, and it's really sort of starting as a mini league. MLS next are the development teams for, you know, any MLS team that wants to have one. Um, a lot of younger players, a lot of opportunity to kind of develop guys for Charlotte FC. It's going to be very similar, I think, to what Charlotte independence was for, for Charlotte last year, where players that maybe need a little bit more seasoning need minutes. Um, we don't want to send them out on a full loan because then we can't recall them easily or anything like that. But now instead of going to the Charlotte independence, I think we're going to see them with our MLS next team. So Paremba in. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't. And and I will just say also with him, uh, I believe the deal is actually a loan deal with an option to buy at the end of it. So he is not officially a permanent Charlotte uh, FC squad member. And I think we'll know um, what the club think about him at the end, whether they pick up that option or not. Yep. Um, beyond that, the it's it's just rumors, uh, unfortunately, about other players. And we've talked uh, as the offseason began about areas where Charlotte Pops possibly or definitely needed some 
uh, reinforcement. And it's been a little, I think, disappointing for for those of us here at the Crowncast that we haven't necessarily seen that. There hasn't been a new left back brought in. Harrison Awful released from contract. Joseph Mora and Adam Armour are our only options. Uh, longtime listeners will know that we're pretty high on Armour. We're pretty low on Mora. Regardless, I think we need competition in that spot. Um, these are areas that, that you know, off mic, Josh and I have talked about. We need these reinforcements to come in. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Oh, go ahead, Josh. No, no, I was just I was just agreeing with you that we need the reinforcements um, and left back especially. Yeah, and so we're we're sort of winding down. Uh, you know, just a couple months away now from the the opening of MLS season twenty twenty three, and it, it's really it's time for the head office to get some of these reinforcements in. Uh, we'll have an opportunity uh, the the evening of this recording. So the evening of the twenty first, as, as Josh and I are recording this, MLS Super Draft occurs, which is. The annual draft last year, Charlotte picked first and selected Ben Bender. Um, I will say, and if you want a, a little deeper dive on this, please check out our Twitter where Josh put together a great thread on this. Um, but Ben Bender is the outlier for a lot of these things. MLS Super Draft, it's not the NFL draft. It's it's not the NBA draft where you're going to pick a guy and they're going to come in and guaranteed immediately contribute. You can get excited about any player that we pick in the Super Draft this evening. We picked 20th in the first round after a trade with Nashville. Uh, we swapped first-round picks and moved down for that. Um, we might get somebody that contributes in the future, right, Josh? Yeah, the 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 draft is um, it's really sort of a hit or miss thing when you when you look at it. Um, from, I'm by no means an expert on this, but from everything that I've seen from people who know a little bit more about it is basically, unless you're picking in that sort of top five range, um, you're not really looking at someone who's expected to contribute right away. And even in that top five range, there's no guarantees. Um, in the thread that I put out, I posted that, uh, last year's number three overall pick saw no time, uh, at, in, in MLS. So it, it's really one of those things where um, if the, the person that we select, if he finds the pitch at all this year, that will either be a result of one or two things. One, which would be a glut of injuries, which is hopefully not going to be the case. Or two, they would be an outlier in it. Um, the expectation is probably that we would see this player maybe a year or two down the road for getting any significant time, to be honest, if at all. Um, I, I sort of uh, say that this is more akin to like an MLB draft than a, like you said, than in the NBA or the NFL or an MLB. It's it's you take a guy, they go into the minors for a few years and they might come out of the minors. They might not. Um, that's sort of my take and my impression of what goes on with the MLS draft as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we could be very happy if it's the second uh, category you said there and they are a statistical outlier because that means that they are playing exceptionally well again probably at that mls next uh, uh level for a fair portion of the early part of the season um again i think that they're that mls next team is gonna sort of fulfill the the role that um charlotte independence played for for charlotte fc this last season um so uh let's see we do have the roster 
uh, which is uh, which is or sorry, not the roster, but the the schedule has been released for the 2023 season. Uh, well, we I'm just begin... gonna. Hey, Justin, I'm just gonna oh. interrupt you because we actually have some breaking news while we're live on Pod. <laughs> All right, uh, Charlotte have actually just signed midfielder Brandon Cambridge from University of Portland. Um, and acquired his MLS homegrown territory exclusivity from the Whitecaps. So that okay, has so. just been tweeted out. Uh, so sounds like a young, a young midfielder making a few moves before the draft. We also sent uh, $50,000 worth of general allocation money to the Whitecaps for him. Um, I have no idea who this, who this guy is, but always exciting to have someone else. Uh, join and at the very least this is some more young talent for for the squad well there there we go uh brandon cambridge okay i mean we don't really know anything about him as josh said it's literally breaking as we're recording Fifty thousand in gam in general allocation money is next to nothing so that ain't bad um yep it'll be interesting to see get his rights um yeah it'll be interesting weird thing yeah, does does this guy go to the roster, uh, you know, proper? Or does he drop down to MLS next? Um, but okay, so so basically, because he's from University of Portland, the homegrown ex- uh, territory exclusivity would put him to the the Whitecaps as the closest MLS team. So um, that means he's not a Generation Adidas member, and therefore not in the Super Draft tonight. Um, probably a developmental guy. But uh, we'll see. Um, one thing about all those developmental guys and MLS Next is there is a new TV package this year. For better or for worse, MLS is being broadcast primarily on Apple TV+. Plus. It's not full Apple TV+. Plus. It's a side subscription. Um, you can get it without signing up for Apple TV+. Plus. If you are a season ticket holder for Charlotte FC, you get this automatically. Um only a few, though, of the matches will be broadcast over the air. Uh, I think, in fact, only one is a Fox broadcast, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But um, uh, so the the downside is right. Everything's now on a streaming service. MLS season pass with Apple TV Plus is the only place to really watch the matches. The upside is no blackouts. Uh, so so you'll be able to watch. You know, if you have. MLS season pass, you'll be able to watch every match. You'll be able to watch all of the Charlotte FC matches without any blackout concerns or anything like that. Uh, you'll be able to watch every match across MLS that way. Um, and you will be able to watch some MLS next matches. Uh, so um, I don't actually know yet what the pricing structure looks like or anything for MLS season pass, but uh, you know, some, some good, some bad comes out of that. Um, to, to me, honestly, one of the biggest regrets that I've got with that is, uh, no Eric Krakauer and Lloyd Sam, um, that I am aware of. I don't think that they've been picked up to be broadcast, a broadcast team for MLS season pass. Uh, really liked hearing those guys, uh, on the, uh, on the airways when we were, when we were playing last season. Um, yeah, yeah I'm right there with you. I think that's the, for me personally, that's the biggest negative of this move. I'm actually relatively excited for it. Um, to be completely honest with you, I don't think that Fox or ESPN put anywhere near the resources they should have into promoting the league, um, or showing anything about the league. 
And if you read into this Apple deal, that does sound like they're putting some resources into it. There's going to be pregame shows, which is a novel concept, apparently. Um, you know, they're going to have a whip around uh, sort of goal show, kind of like a NFL red zone. Um, you know, you, you don't want to say it's going to be great until you see what it actually is. But if Apple comes in and they actually prioritize the league, I think it could be really good. Um, as you said, I don't really know what the pricing structure is, but I feel like these these sports packages tend to be, you know, in those 120-ish ranges, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Um, I think if they could show a lot more MLS Next games, that'd be really good. I think that'd be a really great way to get even more fans into it, um, where you could actually see some of these younger guys that you sort of hear about, but you you can't follow. Yep, I, I definitely agree. I, I mean, I'm going to get it, you know. Uh, I know that you guys, the season ticket holders, will have it, both you and Logan. Um, it, it's it's frustrating to put it in a niche streaming service like that because I think that it stops casual fans from landing on it. But I think for the hardcore, for the serious fans that, that are watching a lot of MLS, the opportunity for one of the other things that they're going to have is re match replays, which has been a nightmare to try and track down and is sometimes frustrating for those of us who want to look at particular moments in the match and, you know, maybe not necessarily a goal scoring one, but track down a particular moment and, and be able to comment on it. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope that it doesn't negatively hurt the very casual uh, MLS viewer. Um, with that said, you know, the schedule has been released. Um, we open the season at home this year, which is great. Uh, February 25th, we have the New England Revolution uh, here in the vault at Bank of America Stadium, although it looks like the branding is going uh, fill the fortress around that one. Um, some of the upper deck will be open. There are $15 tickets available in the upper deck. Uh, come out. It's going to be huge. Um the opening match of a season is always huge. Uh, this won't be 70,000 strong, unfortunately, or 74,000, but it's still going to be exciting. And uh, this is a revolution team that, but well, I think we, we split with them last season. Isn't that right, Josh? We did. We did. So uh, let's, let's see if we can come out of the gate hot. We're at home. We're in front of a big home crowd that always amps this team up. They've had, half a season and a full off season to get Latanzia system under their belt. So uh, we start off big for the remaining months of the season. What Josh and I are going to do is not go through every match, but uh, let's, let's pick something that we think looks kind of spicy. So as we move into March, um, what of the, we play four matches at St. Louis, uh, Atlanta at home uh, at Orlando and uh, New York Red Bull at home, which of those look, sexiest to you josh um for me it's that st louis game um and there, there's a few reasons the the first is that that is their home opener i believe so i'm imagining that that place is going to be um crazy just like uh the bank was last year for us um and then the other reason is that there's a little bit i think of a of a weird budding rivalry happening between these two clubs um, I know a lot of Charlotte fans have been sort of rubbed the wrong way with how the national media covered our inaugural season versus how they're covering the St. Louis inaugural season. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's a little friendly rivalry going on there. But I think anytime 
um, a city is welcoming a new team to their city and they're having that big opening day and you can be part of that, I think that that's just a really cool thing. Um, they are an expansion side, but I would not put it past them to come out with a win in that. Um, you know, it's way too early to get into any kind of predictions, but that's those are always hard games to do, those opening games on the road. Um, so we'll have to see, but hopefully Charlotte can go there and, and spoil their home opener like ours was spoiled. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it is an expansion squad, so there's no tape on them. There's nothing really to watch. We might get one away match for them that we can try and watch some tape and see what kind of system they're playing. It will be interesting. Uh, I agree with you. I think that with our with Charlotte FC start being delayed because of COVID, uh, we didn't really get an opportunity to be the expansion team, be the darlings of the league for, for as long as we should have. St. Louis is moving in and taking the shine off our apple. And uh, I don't appreciate that from them. So uh, I hope we can go in and, and ruin their home opener. For me, the sexy one's Atlanta. It's Atlanta here in Charlotte. This is the rivalry. We know they're right down 85. We hate them when the, when it's the Falcons coming in. Uh, it, you know, we, we hate them when it's Atlanta United coming in. I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, that is also our only nationally broadcast game uh, over the air on Fox. So uh, that'll be an important one in March uh, of 2023. Stepping forward into April... And uh, we have we're on the road at Atlanta, on the road at Saint Long, uh, at Salt Lake, uh, Colorado at home, Columbus at home, and DC in uh, Washington. And I'm going to take the first one, and I'm going to take the the April Fool's Day match uh, playing Toronto at BMO Field in Toronto. That's the sexiest one, I think, just because Toronto has the star power. Toronto has the talent, and uh, because we're a little bitter about Toronto. Because they just kept beating us badly last year. Um, so, you know, I look at that one and I think that's the match in, in April that excites me the most. Josh, what do you think? For me, it's it's somewhat similar. It's, it's that Columbus game. Um, for me, one, I would like to see a home Columbus game not interrupted by uh, a <laughs> five-hour rain delay that is then spilled over into, what, two months later? Um, but I also just think that in general, Columbus feels like a pretty well-run organization and they're always sort of in the mix in the East. So I think it's just a good measuring stick for this club to see where are we in the hierarchy of the East? Um, it's a home game for them or sorry for us. Um, and it, it leads into an away game. So it's just one of those where I, I look at it and I think that's a game where you really want to win. Um, and we're going to see what we're made of when they come to town, I think. Yeah. Uh, Columbus is always a spicy one to play. Um, we move into May and into June, and, and we're going we're gonna to spill over a little bit here because we've also got some interesting scheduling through the end of this month, the beginning of next. I, I will say I think the most interesting match of this month for me is – Going to L.A. Uh, on the 27th of May and playing the Galaxy. I mean, these guys are the stars. They have a lot of power, like a lot of star power, a lot of draw. Um, we have to go across country to play them. Uh, that comes after a, a week where we're at Atlanta, Chicago in town, Nashville in town from the 13th to the 20th of May. And then we've got a week before we, we got to play L.A. in L.A. So it's a rough stretch. Um 
And they're always going to bring the star power. They're always going to bring, you know, a crowd because it's L.A. And so that's an interesting one for me. I, I think it's going to be a very challenging one. We've traditionally been bad on the road. So, uh, Josh, what sticks out to you in May? Um, so I'm going to cheat a little bit and do the end of May and the beginning of June. Um, <laughs> so for me, what sticks out is what you started talking about. So on the 27th of May, we are at L.A. Then we're flying across country for a game on the 31st of May against Philadelphia on the road. And yep. then a few days later, June 3rd, we're on the road again in Columbus. Um, that is a brutal away stretch, I think. It's not only the travel time. I mean, you're switching time zones multiple times in that. Um, but those are really good teams. Um, or we assume they're going to be really good teams. A lot could change. Maybe they fall flat. Doesn't seem likely. And so when we talk about stretches of the season where you look and you say, man, is that sort of a make or break point? I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that, but I do think that that's a stretch of games where you could easily get disheartened as both a player and a fan because it it would not be shocking to have those three games and to lose all three. You hope that that doesn't happen, but man, that is just a tough stretch of three games in one week. It is, and and I mean, you're talking about Philly. This is the MLS champion, Eastern Conference finalist. Uh, it, it's yeah, that's a bad stretch. Not a lot of rest, a lot of nights in hotel rooms. I I hope the guys can stay healthy through all of that and and keep a fighting spirit up. Um, for June, you've already picked Columbus, so I'm going to go ahead and and step in here and say, you know, we've got we're at New York on the 21st of June to play the Red Bull. And if you listen to any of the podcasts last season, you know I do not like this New York Red Bull team. Uh, we do play them earlier in the season uh, here in Charlotte, but uh, going up to New York, I would really like for us to be able to hit them in the mouth in Red Bull Arena. Uh, so I'm circling the 21st uh, for, for a little bit of a grudge match with a team that I think plays football the wrong way. Um, we'll slide here into, into July and, uh, I'll start again on this one. There's only three matches. We're at NYCFC. Uh, we play Cincinnati and, and then we're, uh, at Montreal. Um, and I'm going to pick the Cincinnati match in the middle of it. We'll, we'll talk in just a second about why there's only three matches in July and only three matches in August, but Cincinnati's a good team. Cincinnati is a team that last season were sort of neck and neck with Charlotte. And I think that Cincinnati is a team that that can still be a little bit on the ascendancy. And so I think it's a good measuring stick. It's a good yardstick to put us up against that squad and see where we're at, especially at that point, July's sort of midpoint-ish of the season. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see Cincinnati. I'm excited to see them here at home. Uh, uh, and it's always, it's the Queen City Derby, right? They keep claiming that they're the Queen yes. City and they're wrong. Yes, for me, that's the only <laughs> choice this month, to be honest with you, because of that. I am weirdly fixated on this idea of them calling themselves the Queen City. Yeah. Um, I really want this to just be a thing. I want it to be a Queen City <laughs> Derby. I want there to be stakes on it. Like, I think that the winner of these games should be able to call themselves the Queen City for the next year. <laughs> um, you know, like, let's put some let's put our, our, our money where our mouths are type of thing. Um, but yeah, I think I think what makes sports fun is rivalries, right? Like those teams that you just do not like. You know, I think we have two that are going to be sort of default with, as you said, Atlanta. And then I think Nashville being as close as it is and them 
coming back to the East for who knows how long, because they just get moved about. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, as long as they're in the East, I think that'll be another sort of geographical rivalry for us. But I would really like to see Cincinnati become a thing, because, yeah, I just think that's a fun little nonsensical thing in the grand scheme of things to fight yeah. over. Uh, but it makes that game, I think, fun and interesting. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then, so so those three matches in July are the 5th, the 8th, and the 15th. And then we don't play another MLS match until August 20th. So there's over a month of break between MLS matches. And that is for this League's Cup, where MLS and Liga MX, the Mexican uh, uh, league, are playing some kind of tournament we don't know exactly what the structure looks like, except that the champion of uh, MLS, the, the LAFC, and the champion of Liga MX, they get a bye into the round of 32. Somehow the other teams across MLS and, and Liga MX will get broken up into groups. There will be some group stage play. And then you saw a lot of it at World Cup, sort of the general structure of this. But it's right in the middle of MLS. Let's let's just take a minute here, Josh, and talk about this. Is this a good idea? I I'm torn because I do think having sort of this competition between League MX, I you know, I think as MLS fans, we try to make the argument a lot of times that MLS is just as good, if not better, than League MX. And I don't know that a lot of people would agree with that. So I think having another sort of um competition where where people can put that sort of bravado on the line is a good thing. You know, there's obviously also, you know, the U.S. men's national team, the Mexican national team. A lot of the players for both of those teams will have played in Liga MX or the MLS or, you know, at one point. So in a vacuum, I like this idea. But man, is this going to stress teams depth and fitness? Um, because, yeah, it looks like we're cramming a ton of games in so that we can have this tournament. And then if you advance in this thing, you're playing a lot of games. There are two matches in the group, and then you got a round of 32, 16, quarterfinals, semifinals, uh, finals. That's a lot of extra mileage on guys that if you're pushing for a playoff spot in the second half of the year could come back to bite you if you make a deep run. Yeah, so we were talking off mic and, and kind of circling back to the idea of Generation Next and, and MLS Next, Generation Adidas, and all of these young players. It wouldn't surprise us, I don't think, to see the group stage matches be played with younger players, second string players, get some minutes, you know, some of the same players that you're going to see in the Lamar Hunt US Open uh, over the, the beginning part of this MLS season and everything. Um and then maybe if you make it out of the group phase at that point, it's only, you know, two matches in the group phase. So one slip and you're probably out of those group phases and everything, you know, if you make it out though, but if you make it to the round of 32, you make it to the round of 16, something like that, you might see some of those starters come back in when there's the opportunity for the cup. But this is it, more than anything else. This looks like an opportunity to either, you know, maybe blood some young players or uh, risk some of your current starting eleven in potentially in the middle of a playoff run, um, which is is a horrifying thought for a team that you know Charlotte FC. We should be in the playoff hunt this year. Um, yes, the idea absolutely. of yeah, the idea of getting into the, this league's cup and then having players get injured at the end of July, beginning of August, as you're trying to to gird for that playoff run, that's, that's a horrible idea. So 
I don't know about the timing. I agree with you that the level of competition, I think, will be good. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting to see, you know, what this leads to in the future. There's, I think, sort of been rumblings about Liga MX and MLS and whether or not there's a uh, some kind of merger or future something in the works between these leagues that, to bring, you know, more of North America together. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. But that'll occupy us from the end of July all the way through the first half of August. Uh, and then when we get back, uh, there's only three matches in August 2023 that are at the MLS level. Um, Miami uh, in Miami, LASC at home, uh, and Orlando at home. And I think there's only one of those. Well, at the time of this recording, there's only one of those that's very interesting. And that is LASC. Here in Bank of America Stadium, this is the MLS champions coming to town. Uh, Josh, is there is there anything here that compares? No, that's the game that I think a lot of people will have circled. Uh, I would not be surprised if that's a game where they also open up the uh, upper bowl, um, because I would expect, especially if Charlotte are in the hunt for a playoff position, that um, there's going to be a high demand to see that team with those stars uh, yep. coming to Charlotte. Gareth Bale, Ricky Pooj, that's going to be a big one. That's that's going to be an exciting one. Um, now, the reason I say at the time of this recording is if some of the nebulous floaty rumors about certain players joining Inter-Miami, if that comes to fruition, that absolutely changes and the Miami game is the one that is circled uh, uh, everywhere. He signed, he signed an extension today. It ain't happening. Well, you I mean those can be bought out, right? Beckham's Beckham's gonna bring all of the money and get Messi into MLS this season, sure. <laughs> uh moving into September, uh we have we're back to sort of the normal slate. Uh we're at Nashville, DC here in Charlotte, Philadelphia here in Charlotte, at Cincinnati, at New England. Uh, I mean, this one's probably the Philly match here in town. Um again, those Eastern Conference finalists. It, probably the best team in in the vault in, in the fortress whatever you want to call bank of america stadium but uh i think that's a pretty exciting one uh, josh what do you think i agree um i will say i'm very intrigued by that nashville game as well um you know again i i do think that there is potential for a rivalry because you know i remember when they came here last year there were quite a few fans who made that trip um it's really not that far of a of a drive or a flight or anything like that Plus Nashville, not that I've been, but I hear good things about the city in general. So I could see that being a, a weekend trip for a lot of people from Charlotte trying to make it up there. And I think Nashville and Charlotte are kind of around the same level-ish, or at least we're hoping to be. So that could be sort of a pivotal game, too, as you look towards getting points for the playoffs. Yeah, this this will be, you know, September and October. That's the playoff push and everything. And there are some, there are some, what look like could be winnable matches with DC United here at home, uh, if they replicate their their form from last season, and there are going to be some challenges. You know, Philly at home, going to Cincinnati, those are going to be tough ones. Uh, and then we close out the season with an interesting stretch. Um, we've got Toronto here in the vault. We go to Chicago, uh, and then we close out the season against Miami. Um, I mean, I think for for me, this is. Honestly, it's probably the Miami match here at home because that should be decision day. That should be not necessarily are we going to make the playoffs, but that should be when what what place in the playoffs will we be getting? 
Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm sort of along your same lines, but I'm choosing a different game. So for me, it's the Chicago one. Um, you know, this past season, we were not good road. And you're ending um, the year with two home games and an away game. And Chicago, I haven't been following them closely in the offseason. Maybe they've gotten a lot better, but I don't consider them a powerhouse of the East, you know? So when I look at this schedule, um, that Chicago game highlights to me because it feels like one of those where we might need some points, and that seems a very winnable away game for us to get a lot of momentum, hopefully heading into the playoffs. Yeah, sandwiched between a couple of potentially tough home games in Toronto and Miami, you know. Uh, Miami gave us fits all last year. Now Higuain is not going to be back for them. Which I think he was a big problem for us. Yep. But uh, but Toronto and Miami were were tough outs for us. Absolutely. And Toronto, like you said earlier, they have, I mean, again, they, they still have Insigne. They still have Bernadeschi. They still have Bradley. Um, that is a very good team. And I, I have seen them make, I think, a move for a center back or two, which was their Achilles heel last year. So I'm, I'm actually expecting Toronto to be one of the, the better clubs in the East this upcoming season. Yeah, they disappointed you and kept Osorio too, didn't they? I know. He was, he was on the, <laughs> the, the dream list. It, it, it was a 1% chance, but, you know, man's got to do yeah. it. All right. With that, that's the the schedule for the 2023 season. Um, absolutely, go out there, take a look. Tickets are on sale for for all of these or for most of these matches. Like I said, there are fifteen dollars tickets out there for the first match of the year on the 25th of February. Go out, fill fill up the vault, fill up the fortress, whatever they're going to call it. But let's get big, let's get loud, uh, and and let's start the season with a win against the New England Revolution. So. Uh, with that, if you have chosen to spend your time with us on this last World Cup Wednesday and a return to Charlotte FC content, we love you and we appreciate you and we're very thankful. And uh, we will talk to you again soon. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we have a quick postscript to this episode because it's 440. The MLS Super Draft starts at 5. And Josh, we just got news in. And that news is... Uh, Charlotte FC have just acquired the number one overall pick from St. Louis for this draft. So things become a little bit more interesting for this draft now. <laughs> so, so this is, I mean, all of a sudden, yeah, like we went from picking 20th to picking first and, uh, I'm assuming we're flipping draft picks and then $450,000 in general allocation money, yep. which is a lot. Yes. Um, um, yeah, must we really spent, like somebody at the top. Yeah, because we just spent a, a little bit during this, uh, this podcast. And then I, you know, I talked a little bit on Twitter about how can't really expect anything from anyone outside the top five. Well, all of a sudden we have some expectations now because <laughs> while I'm not, again, this is not the NFL draft. This is not the NBA draft where the number one overall pick is guaranteed to get you this club altering superstar. The expectations do go up a little bit more. You are looking at someone now in the mold of a bender who maybe isn't going to start every single game from you for you across the course of this season, but probably you want him getting into 20-ish, 25 games, starting a good 15 of those. Um, it's an interesting move. As you said, I think that there must be someone that really intrigues them. 
it is it is a very very big surprise i think because st louis is also an expansion team so they also must feel very good about um their scouting from this from the other end or, and their recruiting to basically be like we you know we don't need this right now yeah a surprise because you you would think that you know, a, a young player under contract for this long and everything would be incredibly valuable for a team like like St. Louis. But I mean, four hundred fifty thousand in GAM is that's that's not nothing. That's that's serious money to move for somebody outside of the league to buy down a, a, a contract from a designated player position down to uh, you know a a just a regular contract. Uh, I tell you, the other thing that this does for Charlotte is it puts us in prime position to maybe grab uh, one of the Generation Adidas guys um, who have very different contracts, who who operate in a more protected status for the club, uh, are tied there a little bit more closely, and I think impact the um, the salary cap a little bit more. So very interesting. Literally came in as we were wrapping up. Um but there we go. Charlotte FC uh, going from 20th to 1st in tonight's MLS Super Draft. You will hear about that after that pick has occurred. <laughs> um, that, that, I think, closes out this postscript for the Crowncast. So thank you all again. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.